0: Welcome to the Rogue Journal Club, where we tear studies apart so you don't have to. The Rogue Journal Club is a Shio Sophia production, featuring long-form discussions of peer-reviewed studies, published in academic journals, and their connections to society. I'm Adrian,
1: And I'm Gina. We'll be your hosts.
0: A journal club is when academics at universities get
1: together to talk about papers. But we've gone rogue. We're going to do journal club our way. Join us.
0: On this episode of the Rogue Journal Club, we discuss the article, Population Attributable Fraction of Gas Stoves and Childhood Asthma in the United States. The article appeared in a 2023 issue of the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. The lead author is Taylor Grunwald.
1: Break out the gas stoves. Oh, no.
0: (laughs) We're not going to set anything on fire. We promised.
1: This time. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I accidentally left my range. I have a gas stove and I left it on uh, by accident with just the gas and we had to like open all the doors and the windows in the house and like go outside. It was... it. And I actually went on chat GPT and asked it to help me calculate the PPM of propane that was probably in my house as a result of leaving it on for 20 minutes at the typical like discharge rate of an average stove. And so it was a really wide margin of error. So it could be anywhere from 18 PPM to 300. So 18 is below the limit of what your uh, detector would like the carbon monoxide detector would, would pick up yeah and then 300 would be like you're all gonna die get out now <laughs> so um so chat gpt was not as helpful as i had hoped in that regard
0: <laughs> that is so, a very wide range of error but then again, yeah it was very yeah because i
1: i used i like adjusted the the time so the difference between having it on for 20 minutes and 30 minutes was like enormous so I guess maybe it increases exponentially um if it concentrates if there's no ventilation, so um, so don't leave your stove on like an idiot. It was one of those things where the flame goes out, but the knob wasn't closed all the way, and so oh. it just like i didn't I smelled it when we were eating, and I was like, I smell gas, we have to do something and then I thought, oh, it was just like a little bit cracked, so. They aren't they are not for the faint of heart gas stoves, but they are good for the culinary reasons.
0: They are very good for culinary reasons. And it's like uh, yeah. Gas stoves. I mean, if you've got the interior, you know, the interior stove or you're into the oven kind of part of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, the interior stove, yeah. The, the oven. <laughs> the
0: oven is what we did there. For a
1: second there, I was like, wait, what is she oh <laughs> anyway. The
0: word just wasn't occurring to me. I apologize. But no, it's just like if if you if you I have a problem, and the gas like builds up, but the burner, the the pilot light isn't on on the inside of the oven, but your stove top is on and lit. If you let the gas build up, but then you open the oven door, you you do get an explosion. This has happened before <laughs> to me and to folks that I know. It happened to my father when he was growing up, so it's kind of
1: how yeah, like how big of a fireball do you get? Did you oh, get? well, it,
0: it depends. It depends on how long you let it build up, and you know what's the time of that. But like, like when my, when my father was younger in the family, they had, they had an issue where they'd accidentally let it build up and you get blown across the room by the dang thing when it catches on fire, when you open the door.
1: (laughs) So you said this happened to you? Did you get hurt?
0: No, I didn't get hurt. I wasn't as close. I was, I was doing, I was doing some, um, some charity work actually uh, many, 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 many years ago. And it was just like one of my colleagues who, uh, one of my friends who was there with me, he was standing right by the oven door and he was, he was fine. He got minorly, might've been minorly singed but we didn't leave the, we didn't leave it accidentally running that long. So
1: <laughs> that no. is terrifying. And part of me wishes, I didn't know that, but no, it's good. It's good to know that stuff. Cause yeah, I'm kind of a, a space cadet when it comes to those things. So I, I now ever since then have like double and triple, like crazy person checked the the knobs and everything. So mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, but you can't beat it for cooking though. Like we have a, like a pizza stone in our um, oven. So we crank it up to 500 and put like pizza right on the stone and make it like the pizzerias like, and then the, the fast, the fast heat up is like the electric range wouldn't be able to handle the kind of cooking we do. So the gas stove is probably here to stay, even though these results are actually pretty interesting. So
0: Yeah. And if our if our listeners have figured it out, we are we are talking about the dangerous things of gas stoves. Um.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So you said that there was some news coverage on this. I didn't Uh, catch that
0: a while back. um, So I picked this study out a while back because it was referenced by a Washington Post article. And this was way back when the whole news kerfuffle came out that the Biden administration was looking into banning gas stoves
1: oh really (laughs) i didn't realize that that's that's news to me
0: (laughs) they were thinking about it under the auspices of you know fighting climate change not the other things (laughs) that like what we just talked about with the fireballs
1: are are gas stoves that much of a contributor of greenhouse gas
0: um well when you're when you're burning you are when you are burning propane you are producing a little bit of of
1: um oh yeah I know I just mean the the I, how much of a slice of the pie is it compared to like automobiles and commercial buildings and all those very
0: big- near as much as an automobile or just the general thing of your house, you know, with energy usage and things like that. So it's nowhere okay. near as much and most and one of the reasons it's nowhere near as much is it's not in anywhere near as many homes you know, it's not even in every house in the United States compared to like an electric range or something like that. And I mean, yep. gas stoves are nice, but the electric range is the most common, you know, yeah, kind of stove. Yeah, the- we had
1: it specially installed. Um, we have like a propane tank out back that's specifically for cooking. It's not for heat or anything else. It's just dedicated to that. And we're in a rural area. So we're not tied into the natural gas system that I would if I was in a suburb. So that's a different Gas that's methane, I think, right, and methane yeah.
0: is considered a greenhouse gas, but it it's um it's in it's lesser to lesser concern than carbon dioxide is,
1: yeah, that's right. I did know that, I think, and then probably I don't know, actually, I don't know enough about the chemistry of this stuff, so let's just dive into the study and then we can talk <laughs> about all that. <laughs> yes,
0: this one is not about carbon dioxide um this is a study that's one of the reasons the this was a washington post opinion piece that was basically along the lines of well we should ban gas stoves because xyz thing and this was one of the articles they linked off to say to say mm. proof of that um i don't that's mm. this, is, this is one of those cases to me where i don't necessarily think that the journalistic hyperbole is <laughs> is entirely worth it Um uh, but here is the article title this appeared in 2023 actually so it is actually quite recent in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. Um, population attributable fraction of gas stoves and childhood asthma in the United States. Um, lead author is, I think you say, Taylor Grunewald. I think.
1: Grunewald, yeah. Yeah, Grun- I'll I'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, then I can read the abstract if you like, just to get, get us started.
1: Yeah, do that. That
0: would work. Indoor gas stove cooking is associated with an increased risk of current asthma among children and is prevalent in 35% of households in the United States. The population level implications of gas cooking are largely unrecognized. We quantified the population attributable fraction, PAF, for gas stove use and childhood asthma in the U.S., Effect sizes previously reported by meta-analyses for current asthma were utilized in the PAF estimations. And for those following along, I'm skipping over all the numbers in the abstract. Um, Yeah,
1: just probably we can get into the numbers later.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we'll get to those, I'm sure. The proportion of children less than 18 years old exposed to gas stoves was obtained from the American Housing Survey for the U.S. And states with available data, N equals nine, so nine states, um, we found that 12.7% of current childhood asthma in the United States is attributable to gas stove usage, or is it use? They said use here. I want to say usage, but anyway, the proportion of childhood asthma that could be theoretically prevented if gas stove use was not present varied by state, um, from 21.1-ish percent in Illinois to Pennsylvania's 135 Our results quantify the U.S. public health burden attributed to gas stove use and childhood asthma. Further research is needed to quantify the burden experienced at county levels, as well as the impacts of implementing mitigation strategies through intervention studies. So Mm. in other words, we're on childhood asthma with gas stoves.
1: Yeah, this is personally relevant to me because we're hoping to expand our family at some point in the next couple of years. And we also have a gas range, as you heard from my stupid story at the beginning of how I (laughs) filled my house with propane (laughs) accidentally. I laugh, but that was actually a really stressful night. I was uh, pretty freaked out by it. So I'm sure it's um,
0: in hindsight, but
1: yeah. So this study is, I, I don't know if I necessarily doubt the conclusion of it. I think that uh, the, the, the policy implication that you talked about of wanting to ban stoves, I think maybe a little bit, um, bombastic.
0: <laughs> I couldn't a overkill.
1: Yeah. I think it's a little bit premature. Um, so I guess we can talk about what they did. Do you want to go, go through that at least, uh, a, um,
0: as, as I understand it, cause I think you and I were talking beforehand that I'm not a hundred percent clear with exactly what population attributable fraction is and how it's calculated. So we're
1: Yeah, I think I'm
0: struggling a little with that one.
1: I know I'm gonna try my hand at explaining what uh my husband and I had had sorted out earlier today when I was looking at this. Um I had just needed another brain to bounce this off of because I've seen equations with this form before and I was it's just been a couple of years since I've really done statistics. So I was like I know this means something, but I can't put my head around it. So, um, but yeah, I guess to put it in plain English, I think the population attributable fraction is just how many, uh, cases of asthma can be attributed to gas stoves. So when they mean population, I think they mean the population that has asthma of children. Right. So, uh, so I guess they they figured this out based on the relative risk of getting asthma if you have a gas stove in your house, and they pulled those uh, risk ratios from other studies. Yeah, and then the um, gas stove use, like so, they looked at you know how many homes in the U.S. by state. Uh, have children and gas stoves in them. So that was their, their broader data set. And I think they constrained it more by wanting to, so that the top of that equation is looking at uh, how many children, sorry, the proportion of households with children exposed to gas stoves. So that's like, you know, if, uh, this
0: is this is the question I had about this. Yeah, it's thing. really
1: hard to explain without like a chalkboard.
0: <laughs> well, and, but here's the thing, the proportion of households with children exposed to gas stoves. I don't know that, th- th- this is where I'm wondering is how, does the American Housing Survey really go into that much depth to ask folks if you have a gas stove and you have a child?
1: Probably they do. Yeah, because I think it might be well, I guess we can look up the American Housing Survey. Let's,
0: yeah. And I Let's try I, that. I was just looking up the um a definition of um of, uh, excuse me, of population attributable fraction, just for heck of having a formal definition handy. Um what journal is this though? I just don't know. BMJ Publishing Group, so it's something in epidemiology, I know that. Um, written by an assistant professor of epidemiology and a professor of statistics in medicine. Much statistical analysis seeks to identify associations between exposures and outcomes. The population attributable fraction is an epidemiological measure widely used to assess public health impact of exposures in populations. PAF is defined as the fraction of all cases of a particular disease or other adverse condition in a population that is attributable to a specific exposure. Um, PAF equals O minus E over O, where O and E refer to the observed number of cases and the expected number of cases under no exposure, respectively. So,
1: yeah, yeah, that. That makes some sense. We were, the way that we were reasoning it out was to decide, okay, if, so what makes PAF zero? So plugging in values that would make nobody's asthma is attributed to gas stoves. So that would mean whatever P is, however many kids live in houses with gas stoves, if the relative risk is one, that makes p zero which makes the whole thing zero yeah so that would mean if uh one means that it doesn't matter one way or another so that like so one is one to one is essentially what that means yeah,
0: it's six or one half dozen or the other if you get a if yeah you get asthma a child yeah
1: like if you're like if you're in A house with a gas stove, or if you're not, your risk of getting asthma is the same. Right, it's like a one to one. So that would make the whole numerator zero, which would make PAF zero, and that would mean that there's no relationship, that there's no cases of asthma can be connected to gas stoves. So they figured out that it's not zero; it's actually twelve point seven percent. So whatever, whatever the relative risk was that they used, uh, they didn't say that it's from that you have to go look up those sources that they gave us they didn't actually publish it in their manuscript and it's not in supplemental so they didn't say what the relative risk was that they used
0: yeah um where did they first we sought to update the effect size estimates by identifying peer-reviewed manuscripts with the title review Effect sizes were reported for current asthma in North America and Europe combined weighted by inverse variance, N equals 10s to these. The odds ratio is 1.34 were utilized in PAF estimations. So we combined effect sizes. So it sounds like what they used use was this odds ratio thing and yeah. converted it back to... No, actually, because odds ratio, I think you could use as a relative, you could use it as the relative risk itself. The yeah, way the ratio is calculated, so It's
1: just a different way of looking at the same information. Yeah, like relative risk is a percent, and an odds ratio is a ratio of two percents, I get or t- yeah.
0: it's a ratio I mean, it's a ratio of two two numbers, and it's the odds that something would happen given something else,
1: yeah. But they're, so one is just a percent and the other one is a percent over a percent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, but you can get the same information from that. I remember doing these in school, but it's been like four years now since I took that class and I can't remember anymore, but they, they, I guess ran, they made it like a model where they ran the calculation 10,000 times and then got distributions. Mm -hmm. So then- then they just took the mean of those distributions. So this is where I don't know enough about stats to know if that's legit or if they're over-interpreting it.
0: Now, let, me, let me read that again. Note that we use the combined North America and Europe odds ratio. Yeah, so they say odds ratio for the relative risk in this equation, as childhood asthma in the U.S. remains relatively rare, affecting 1 in 12 children. So it's one thing is childhood asthma is already really rare.
1: Um, that does make it a statistically tricky thing. Then when it's rare, then you get a lot more like wobble. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause that's, that's why they had to use North America and Europe is because in the U S it's, it's so rare. They just didn't have enough sample. Uh, yep. We repeated this calculation 10,000 times to create distributions of PAF nationally for, and for each state using the same, same combined odds ratio for national. Ah, well, that's one thing because the odds ratio is not necessarily the same in between in, in a state compared to nationally, but that's yeah. one thing to make. Um, we then took the mean of these distributions and calculated their 95% confidence intervals um, to estimate the PAF of current childhood asthma attributable to gas stove usage. Calculations performed using R, my favorite programming language, and. Um, I do almost everything I do statistics-wise in R, so.
1: <laughs> I like R, too. It's fun.
0: <laughs> Very much fun. No. Um, see, this is what's weird about it is because if, if I were a reviewer, I would have knocked them for that because there's um, there's a lot of different ways you could do that kind of 10,000 times thing. You could do like a Markov chain Monte Carlo kind of thing to get
1: those distribution things, which is, I suspect,
0: what they ended up doing.
1: That's what I thought it sounded like. They didn't say that specifically, but the idea of running a calculation a bunch of times to get a distribution sounds very close to that. So
0: Yeah, and you just, for those of us, for those folks listening, Markov Chain Monte Carlo is a handy way to get many, many, many things over and over and over again. So you can get a sense of the statistical distribution of something and you basically run the calculation over again with something ever so slightly different every time that you run it. (laughs) And it starts to fill out what the actual distribution of the results are. And, you know, hopefully if it's something that is a nice, like normal distribution or something like that, you get the highest density in the middle when you run your 10,000 odd things as they did here. And that gives you the sense of, oh, the mean is this. And we've got a 95% confidence interval. And yeah, so I guess
1: like a, a super dummy way of explaining it. I don't mean to say dummy. I'm like a dummy as well. I like the dummy explanations. They make everything make more sense. It's like if you take 10,000 different classrooms of students and you give them a test, uh, you know, 10,000 times. Most people are gonna get a C, a few people are gonna get an A, a few are gonna get a B, then there's like a couple of Fs and Ds, but the bulk is in the BC area. So you could look at 10,000 classes and see if that pattern repeats itself or if it's drastically different from class to class. And then you can figure out what the average probably is over like 10,000 classes, but the classes are all theoretical in the computer. And so you just run them like with code instead of like giving tests to actually 10,000 students which are classrooms which would not really be feasible Mm -hmm. and in this case it's really not feasible because you're talking about families with children and gas stoves in the whole country and you can't go out and ask them individually that many times so this is a way also they do this when something is rare I think this is a trick
0: this is this is a way to get more sample when you have something that is a really rare occurrence to begin with. And as they already noted, I mean, childhood asthma in the U.S. is relatively rare still. Um, so that's one thing with that. Yeah, um, Yeah, so I would have knocked them because they didn't talk about how they did the 10,000 times replication. Because, yeah, there's Markov chain Monte Carlo. There's just traditional old bootstrapping. You could do it that way. Um, heck, you could have done this with Bayesian if you knew if you had some kind of sense of of what the uh, a priori, you know, what's your, okay. Bayesian stats, for those who don't know, is very different from classical stats, um, which is what most folks learn is classical stats. Bayesian stats is where you basically have something like the PAF, for instance. You have some kind of a priori thing of what you think the distribution of that variable is. You have some data, which helps you make a likelihood function and basically what it is is your posterior, you're now informed distribution of what you think that variable is. Posterior equals prior times likelihood. <laughs> so that was the thing that was drilled into my head many many times in a Bayesian stats class.
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that much of that. So that was that's that's a good way of explaining it. I think it's a little jargony though. I bet I bet a lot of the listeners probably still didn't understand what you said.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. But but um, it's
1: also hard, I think it's hard to convert that into everyday speech because there isn't a lot of everyday word synonyms for all that stuff. It no. can be tricky.
0: Basically, think of it this, the best way I can think of it is you think of it this way. Before you go into a situation, you might have some kind of inkling about how it's going to unfold at the right. end, right? But then you're in the situation itself. And it unfolds differently. And as you come out of it, you think you you have a different inkling and thought about how it unfolded. That's the idea. Your a priori thing is your assumption of what you think it's going to be like. You get your data in the situation that you're in. And so you have your a priori times your data and Mm then gives you what your inkling is on the outside. Your posterior, as it
1: were. (laughs) And then, so classical statistics that we all learn in like Stat one hundred and one and freshman year of college that looks at it. Explain how that's different then from what you said. Like how how would you look at the same situation using the classical method?
0: So, where Bayesian is different from classical is oftentimes with classical you have to make you have to make a very specific assumption about some of the distributions there. Like you're saying it's normal with this amount of spread and this amount of that. With Bayesian, you don't have to do that um, as much, but the data helps you figure that out Um, Hmm. in a lot of ways. The other thing is that with a classical stats kind of thing, and this is way nerdy in the weeds um, kind of thing, you end up with, shall we say, it becomes more difficult to estimate uncertainty about other things that are going on so like in a bayesian sense what you could do all the way down is do the same kind of thing on the proportion and the relative risk also at the same mm. time and let all of that uncertainty translate into a paf but you can't yeah. do that as easily with classical stats
1: <laughs> yeah the classical method that's like when you read a a study and it says there's no statistically significant difference, that's the classical statistics that uses basic, like standard.
0: Classical classical stats is hypothesis testing about what things are and how they unfold. But with a Bayesian thing, you're actually using the data to inform that a lot more.
1: Yeah, you can almost go into it a little more agnostic. like You don't have to have a super clearly laid out hypothesis. but it's harder, I think, to do it the Bayesian way, and I'm not.
0: Oh yeah, it yeah. is much more difficult to do it in a Bayesian format. Um,
1: and might, I think that's probably why they teach Bayesian the Bayesian other Bayesian. thing to students because it's a lot more clear cut, um, and it's older. I think in terms of like the advances in statistics, I think the classical way is the classical way because it was first, yeah. and it was it made sense, and it still I does. Know. I think it's still it's still used very widely. So.
0: Yeah, no, classical stats is is the most widely used kinds of stat kind of stats. And and in case there's a statistician listening, I apologize if I butchered the description of Bayesian stats because <laughs> it is not my fullest expertise. I've taken classes in it, but I don't work with it all the time. So yes, I apologize. You feel free to correct us in the comments.
1: Yeah. Feel free to, to, well, actually go for it. I like that because then I learn things. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, for the, for the, the non-math nerds in the audience, this is, this is this conversation. If you are not following it, it's okay. Um, what this is hopefully showing you is that this stuff is not simple to study and it, it may seem like, it's a simple question do gas stoves cause asthma right like is that a is that a um that's not a complicated question in like grammar wise it's not it's not like a you know you can think about that but actually testing it to where you really understand whether or not that's actually happening Like this kind of thing is just a drop in the bucket because you also need to look at it from all these different perspectives and statistics is not just one thing. There's a lot of different approaches and all of them have setbacks. All of them have advantages and you can bias your uh, results based on how you approach the statistics. So it's important. This is why one study isn't enough to make a policy decision because you need to look at it from all these different sides. Plus what they also are not talking about here is even if you find an association, you still need to do all of the medical studies that look at how the mechanism for how propane and methane would cause asthma in children. You you need more than just the association to be able to make a policy decision like banning gas stoves, which I can see why people are mad. Um, so yeah. But we all have a different like, level of uh, evidence that, we, that we're willing to, that we need to have in order to make a personal decision. Exactly. And that's, that is not something that science can tell you. you Although I
0: will say, to, I will say they yeah. probably use something in classical stats because now I can see like 95% confidence intervals. That's a pretty common, that's a pretty common thing with classical stats to have confidence intervals like that. So it's probably something in there they didn't get into the Bayesian stuff.
1: If it's epidemiology, it's probably classical. Like, this sounds like something... It sounds, like, fairly straightforward just because the question is not complicated, Yeah. so...
0: Yeah, but still, um, that's something I would have knocked him for if I was peer-reviewing, because I don't know how you did your 10,000 replications.
1: Yeah, this paper is only, like, four pages long, including the references, and it only has nine references, so it's really... It, it's a short paper. It it It's very brief. It's missing, to me, it's missing a lot of explanation, which was frustrating. So yeah, yeah. I did think it was interesting. So they talked about how this is the first time anyone's ever broken this down by state. And just like kind of an aside, I was looking at this So Illinois has the highest burden followed by California, New York, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, and then Texas, Colorado, and Ohio all experience burdens of disease around 10%, and Florida is the lowest at 3%, and it seems like it's related to just how many households have gas stoves. So in Illinois... 79.1% of households with children cook with gas, but in Florida, it's only 9%. So that's really interesting that there's like state differences that are that drastic in the use of gas ranges. And that just makes me wonder why that is like, is it an infrastructure thing? Is it a cultural thing? It's, it's interesting to me.
0: might be an infrastructure thing. Cause I, I just imagine it's probably easier in Illinois because a lot of the gas, the gas lines would all be underground
1: Oh yeah. Florida doesn't have much of an underground. I grew up there. I'm well aware of that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Cause it would be, yeah, you'd be, you go too far underground in Florida. You end up in water.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I lived at sea level for my whole childhood basically. So, uh, and then now I'm at sea level again <laughs> in Delaware. <laughs> so just cool. Just not as hot, which is great. Um, but yeah, so the. Um, the state difference is interesting, and also it's just this goes to show you that just the number of households where children cook with gas has an effect on the risk. That's that's what that doesn't that sound like what they're saying? That like yeah, you get, I, Yeah,
0: I'm just processing the other thing you said. You said where children cook with gas.
1: Oh, did I say? I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, chill I think I mashed like three sentences together in my head where oh oh Where households with children cook with gas that's where I got that from I was like reading and thinking at the same time which is never a good thing so no no no.
0: I I I think I understood that you were trying to say that but I yeah it's like (laughs)
1: walking yeah it's like walking and chewing gum at the same time I have a hard time with all those things actually I think I can walk and chew gum at the same time I'm gonna have to try just to be sure um Yeah. Anyhow, I'm weird. So.
0: No, it's okay. It's okay. I just, I just did take a mental pause to make sure I processed what you said. Right.
1: Yeah. So the state level population attributable fractions differ due to varying exposure to gas stoves. So this is also talking about. So that. So that percent, twelve point seven percent of current childhood asthma in the U.S. is attributable to gas stove. If that percent changes based on how, how, uh, what percent of households in your state have gas stoves, that I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that. So does is it not twelve point seven percent, or am, is just is this just a mundane detail that I'm having a brain fart about?
0: No, I think I, I think it's a fair point because this, this goes back to the problem that I had in that they're using one singular odds ratio for national and state. Um mm. that for that relative risk side of it. But because the American Housing Survey has the granularity of the data that it does, then they can get into in Illinois figuring out that, oh, 79% of the households there 79% of the households where there are kids. Also cook with gas, where it's only nine percent Florida. So I think I think the difference here in the state versus national calculation is in the national one they're aggregating it together, and saying you know whatever X percent X percent of households with children have gas stoves and cook with gas. You could determine that from the American Housing Survey. Mm-hmm. Um, I pulled it up to look real quick, and I was like, damn, that's that's. Ex- Expansive what they put in that survey <laughs>
1: yeah, I know I looked it up too they they do ask a lot of stuff I mean it's the census, so I guess that makes sense yeah, oh, so. um but
0: I think yeah I think the number with the seventy nine percent and the nine percent and then twenty one to to three percent down with the the actual burden of it that has to do with that has to do primarily with that that p number in there that changes not the relative risk number mm. because they held that fixed the whole time the people yeah. actually changes with um proportion of households with children exposed to gas stoves that's yeah i think, that's drawn from the ahs the housing survey
1: i think it just hit me what what my brain fart was about and i think i get it now i always try to find like the english language sentence to say to go with the numbers because that's just how i think so your your risk of gas stove-caused asthma is lower in states where they don't use a lot of gas stoves. Yeah. So fewer of the cases of asthma in children are going to be caused by gas stoves in states where there aren't that many of them to begin with. That That's like kind of actually a mundane... Like of course that's true. So yeah,
0: yeah, that's that's the one where where you're looking at the authors of the study and being like, well, no shit, Sherlock.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I think it's just easy for your brain to take that 12.7 percent and say, oh, you have a 12.7 percent chance of getting asthma if you're exposed to a gas. So that's not what that means. That 12.7 percent means out of all of the people who are kids who have asthma, 12.7 percent of those asthma cases. Are caused by gas stove exposure
0: so So, we can do we can do a back of the hand kind of calculation here um now because in the previous section they just said um we use the combined north america and europe odds ratio for relative risk in this equation as childhood asthma in the u.s remains relatively rare rare, affecting one in 12 mm -hmm. so one in 12 is your initial percentage of kids who have asthma and then it's so it's so what one in 12
1: yeah I was about to I was about to bust that out. Hang on. <laughs> Let's do some math. <laughs> yeah, what is the u s population right now of oh how many kids are in the u s Let's see. So
0: one in twelve is eight percent of kids.
1: yeah, yeah, it's less. so there's seventy three million children in the u s times eight mm-hmm. percent. So that's five million. Eight hundred forty thousand. So it's like five million kids have that's asthma to
0: begin with. So what they're with. saying is twelve percent, twelve point seven percent of that five million number is attributable to gas stoves being using using gas stoves. There we go.
1: So that's six hundred thirty-five, six hundred and thirty-five thousand kids uh, have asthma today that wouldn't if not for gas stoves. Uh, that is technically what the math of that is saying. So so wanting to so there so this is the idea of like if we ban gas stoves and they went away and into outer space and no one ever had one again, then we would reduce the the asthma disease burden among children by 12.7 percent. This is the idea behind the ban recommendation that I guess the study authors even make at the end. Yeah, I think I, kind of they said, yeah, yeah, they say. Given that this exposure is preventable, our study demonstrates that known mitigation strategies will lessen childhood asthma burden from gas stoves in states with elevated PAFs. Uh, Wait, that's not what I wanted to read. Um, uh, We posit that there are two interventions, removing the source by replacing gas cooking with with cleaner alternatives to reducing exposure through source ventilation, example, range hoods. So then they talk about how, how, okay, ventilation... Uh, reduces it but not eliminates it the only way to eliminate it is obviously to eliminate the the source which is the get you know if if we assume that this 12.7 percent thing is true which we just have to assume that while we're reading the paper but it may not be um, reducing exposure through ventilation uh, is like second best to getting rid of the stoves moreover oh and they also say why range hoods are not practical because some houses are not outfitted for it. some of them aren't installed right because they just basically blow it back into the room just higher above your head. Um, the ones that are fancy that chefs have that they actually vent outside, you have to have like your like a, like your house modified for that, so it's hard oh yeah um, and then they may not work that well, all that stuff, so mm-hmm. So yeah, they're even suggesting that intervention, which this is something that always bugs me about papers that make recommendations at the end. They're like, they make the most simple recommendation, like, oh, we just found that this thing is bad. So let's get rid of it. That's the answer. And it's like, well, hold up there a second. You're not a policy expert. You are an expert in like epidemiology let's get a few more people talking about what the best solution is i think it's just there's no humility in some of these conclusions where they're just like ah it's bad get rid of it like or we need more laws that well, these are kind of the things that i i think academics tend to just go to because it's simple and they don't they're not used to thinking about policy because that's not what they do yeah and so the, yeah. it always annoys me when I see this. I'm like, ah, oh, here we go again. Another like broad sweeping recommendation that journalists are going to latch onto and make everybody mad, and that's exactly what happened. So it, it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. That's yeah. that's my pet peeve with all this stuff. So uh, it's
0: fine, also, um, and also in particular because they, I give them credit that they acknowledge certain limitations. Because one of the things they talked about is um, our assumption, our interpretation of the PAF as the proportion of preventable disease rests on the assumption that for one, exposure to gas cooking among children is orthogonal to other risk factors, such as exposure to tobacco smoke, meaning there's nothing in interaction there that could also be causing the asthma. So yeah, yeah.
1: You know, if you if you drill down to the source of the risk, the relative risk, calculations. These are correlations. They're based off of correlations from studies, like where people, you know, okay, gas stoves. So here's all the houses with gas stoves. Um, Are they more likely to have asthma? Uh, So you've got, let's see, an example of like, uh, you live in a house without a gas stove or with one, are there more asthma cases in the gas stove houses than in the non-gas stove houses? And so that's just a correlation. Those gas stove houses could also have smokers in them because maybe gas stove houses are older and maybe uh, your lower income populations might be more likely to live in a gas stove house. Those populations also are more likely to smoke cigarettes. There's all kinds of different things you could look at. Um, And that's just, I just pulled that one out of the top of my head. There's probably a gazillion other things that I haven't thought of because I don't study this. So.
0: Well, I mean, also like how many kids, how many folks are burning scented candles?
1: yeah I mean that's, that's
0: a random one but potentially yeah
1: I actually that's funny my husband's asked the same thing what about scented candles so it's funny I hate scented <laughs> candles because they leave like a, an oil film all over everything if you burn them in long enough like yeah, oh, it's yeah, because that that aromatic has to go somewhere, you know.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. That's a good point. So
1: yeah, and it settles on things. And actually, this is really gross. We were um, I was cleaning my kitchen. Uh I climb up on the counter to clean the tops of the cabinets, you know, and there was like sticky goo with dust stuck in the sticky goo. And I figured out that it was uh, evaporated cooking oil from like us living in this house for, you know seven years or eight years or something like that and we you know from frying and from pan frying and things like that we make a lot of indian food and there's a lot of deep frying involved because it's awesome so the like the uh, vaporized cooking oil floats up and then it settles on things and it's sticky you know how the outside of your deep fryer will get sticky after a while it's from oil like settling there so and it's it's really hard to clean it off so i went i went at it with like rags and you know brushes and it was like this gray stuff with dust stuck in it it's all clean now but man that was a rough time so yeah that stuff is in the air it's not good for you so obviously this is a an important study to like i don't doubt the conclusion uh in general but i think just the recommendations are very extreme i think we need to understand more about what's behind those correlations just to make sure that the, R, the relative risk ratios that were used to, make, to do this calculation are actually based on something. Mm-hmm. You would need to do um, medical studies to actually figure out what the mechanism is for how propane and methane would cause asthma. That's like that's something that we would need to be convinced of, I think, before we go and make a broad sweeping recommendation that like propane and methane are bad, so yeah
0: and this is and this is my kind of wondering because i I was thinking that too, because I correct me if I'm wrong, but I had always thought, and this is where I'm waiting out of my depth, I fully admit that with you know. <laughs> with this because i am not an expert in medicine but i thought asthma was more so triggered by particulates not by gaseous vapor
1: yeah see that i don't know either i have no idea so that would be a question that could be asked if it hasn't been asked like what is the role of vapors in triggering asthma is there a role do we even know that like yeah. you see the correlation, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's, that there's a, a known mechanism for how that's working. It could well, be. Yeah. yeah.
0: And there's another thing about it. There's, there's two different things here. Cause of course there's whatever triggers an asthma attack and that may be a particulate thing, but whatever causes a child to develop asthma in the first place. Right. The only that's,
1: those are I two could, separate things.
0: Yeah. The only thing I could think of with respect to the gases is, is of course it does something to degrade your lungs.
1: Yeah, or yeah, and I think, isn't asthma like an autoimmune disease, kind of? Or it's an inflammatory condition. Maybe it's not necessarily an autoimmune disease.
0: Do some live searching.
1: Oh, it's not. It's an inflammatory condition, not autoimmune, but there might be an autoimmune component.
0: Yeah, lung disorder characterized by narrowing of the airways, the tubes which carry air into the lungs that are inflamed and constricted, causing shortness of breath, wheezing, and cough. From the Mayo Clinic.
1: Yeah, I guess that's probably a reliable source. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah, so this asthma is a condition in which your airways narrow and swell and may produce extra mucus. This can make breathing difficult and trigger coughing, a whistling sound, wheezing, when you breathe out and shortness of breath. For some people, asthma is a minor nuisance. For others, it can be a major problem that interferes with daily activities and may lead to a life-threatening asthma attack. Asthma can't be cured, but its systems can be symptoms, systems, wow, symptoms can be controlled because asthma often changes over time, it is important to work with your doctor to track your signs and symptoms and adjust your treatment as needed.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, yep. yeah, I think, um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. A, fr- a good friend of mine, her son has really severe asthma where he needs like a nebulizer and he's been in the ER many times. They know him first name basis kind of thing. And he's, he's young. He's like, nine i think Mm -hmm. so um
0: so here's here's a little bit more because causes it isn't clear why some people get asthma and others don't but it's probably due to a combination of environmental and inherited genetic factors right asthma triggers exposure to various irritants and substances that trigger allergies allergens can trigger signs and symptoms of asthma asthma triggers are often are different from person to person and can include airborne allergens such as uh, pollen dust mites mold spores pet dander or particles of cockroach waste didn't know that um (laughs)
1: yeah i guess early childhood stress is also linked to that's what they're um, saying
0: down here is one of the triggers for an asthma attack can be really strong emotions and stress
1: yeah and then uh, this is a this is a um, study in a respiratory journal, and I've read about this in, in a book, uh, like a psychology book, but adverse childhood experiences such as abuse and neglect are associated with subsequent immune dysregulation, so it's a correlation again, but some studies show an association between these experiences and asthma onset, although significant disparity in results exists. so chronic stress in early life Is associated with an increased risk of asthma onset. But of course, there's always extra factors that play into why a stressful early childhood might be associated with that without it being the cause. Um, uh, Like there is evidence that adverse child experience increases the impact of traffic related air pollution. Uh, So there's a lot of things that cause asthma, and like we really don't know. So this study you know, in and of itself without a mechanism is pretty speculative still.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: And I think for, I think it's a, it's a, um, an important conclusion. It it gives us the signal that there's something to study and that yeah. there's something to wonder about. And I think that's good. And I'm glad it was published. I'm glad it was done. Uh, no. again, to me, this is the, the angering outcome of science journalism So commercial (laughs) for my future book that I hope I write someday.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I agree with you. It's, It's the utter frustration that you're making an overarching policy recommendation that is way too general when you probably shouldn't, particularly when you as the epidemiologist probably don't take into account the many other trade-offs and things like that um like yeah one of the good things about gas stoves is that if the power goes out you can still cook with it
1: you just because yep.
0: you can't use the electric glider
1: yeah and i'm kind of an at this point becoming a little bit of an unashamed doomsday prepper and we live in a rural area and we have like we just got a manual flour mill it's super cool <laughs> I- Um, like a hand crank one man that is a good core workout and arms like yeah anyway yeah adrian and i are like into fitness right now so yeah manual grain mill it's it's zero calorie pizza you grind the mill and burn the calories and then you eat the pizza it's a net uh, zero gain (laughs) so yeah yeah it's the it's the flour that burns calories for you so anyhow uh that was a major digression but um how many times
0: do we go on on a regular show so
1: at least 30. (laughs) (laughs) I think um yeah the propane I mean I don't want to give up my stove if there was a if there I think I would need more evidence to to be willing to give up the gas range I hope that they don't make them illegal that would really suck we'd have to like really rework our kitchen then that would be expensive i yeah. hope biden pays for it then <laughs> is he gonna <laughs> is he gonna hook us up with some funds to redo our kitchen then
0: <laughs> uh, yeah probably not but no. yeah i no,
1: yeah I, I, that I mean,
0: was if i if i if i i have an electric range where i am right now and i would really really prefer to have a gas one to be honest
1: yeah yeah, they work better, especially for stir frying and things with oil. Like, because then your food's not like sopping. You have to wait for the oil to heat up longer, and yeah.
0: No, it, I it heats know. things up so much faster. And the other thing, of course, is when you turn the gas off, the heat goes off too. So, like the electric ranges, it retains the heat in the ring for a long time. Yeah,
1: you have to like move it over to the other burner. Yeah, yeah, and it never gets as hot and all that good stuff. And you can't roast marshmallows over. It. <laughs> okay i only did that one time and i don't know why but i just really wanted to
0: (laughs) i mean the the broader point you're making is just like yeah this is all great but don't forget that you don't necessarily have the right to use science or some kind of science sometimes to to justify superseding a personal decision of a family
1: yeah i think that the this some topic. This is a thing that you and I have talked about per, per privately and on the show and on your show is this like sort of authoritarian bent of the way academics talk about things. And they are in an echo chamber themselves where most of them are paid from government grants. And so they really like government as a solution to things. It's just what they know. And the idea of like a, mar- a free market or, um, uh states rights all those things like they associate that with like bad people those are the bigoted old conservatives that like have these sort of naive beliefs that the market can solve everything well no one said that so there's um there there's a lot of other ways you can solve these problems um government is not a solution to all ills, and we have uh a fairly sophisticated air filtration system in this house because it was a remodeled house um and we're really cognizant of the like the fact that there's old aspects to this house and we just want to keep the air clean there's probably fungal spores and dust that moves through and so and we live in the woods and there's dirt everywhere and i have an underground basement farm and there's dirt in there too so We have invested in a a sophisticated air filtration system. That's not taken into account. Ventilation is good, but what about purification? And then is methane, natural gas stoves, is there a difference between propane and methane in the effect on asthma? I wonder too, because we have a propane stove, but maybe the natural gas is better or worse. they are different chemical compounds. So how, you know, would one be more likely to trigger? And so, in this study, uh, the different kinds of gases are are not separated out. Like that would be a, like a, a a detail that would be really tough to study in this kind of. Uh, they wouldn't be able to get a hold of that data. I don't think the bureau, the Census Bureau, asks. Uh, you have a gas range? Is it natural gas or propane? I I doubt that they have that level of granularity.
0: Yeah, and was, I was just looking just to satisfy my curiosity because I couldn't couldn't remember the um, chemical formula for propane.
1: <laughs> I think it's three carbons.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's C three H eight if I remember correctly now. Yeah, yeah, C three H eight and methane is C H four. So
1: it's- yeah, car propane takes a little more energy to break down because it has more bonds. More, it's more reduced. Right. Um,
0: but it is one of the key byproducts of um uh, burning um burning propane is carbon dioxide and water vapor
1: yeah yeah i guess that's true for all carbon-based fuels
0: yeah any i think anything that's carbon-based you ultimately get you do get carbon dioxide
1: yeah like wood <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Like when methane is burnt in air, it produces carbon dioxide and H2O. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, here's another question. What about wood Wood burning heat and like oil heat? What about oil heat? Okay. Those are also, so is this all fossil fuel based fuels are triggering asthma? Why would they, you well, know, so. I would,
0: think, I would think the wood burning one would be worse actually because you have yeah. the flying ash and things like that. You don't get that with burning just straight methane gas or, or propane yep. gas. So.
1: Yep. Yeah, the particulates are a big, that that there is a mechanism known for that, that it can trigger asthma attacks. But then of course, the question is, does it cause new cases? Right. I guess if you have to be genetically susceptible, you have to have the genetic susceptibility in order for any of the environmental triggers to have an effect on you. Mm-hmm. And hey, yeah, this so
0: is, this is the other thing they don't get into is that are these kids who would have had asthma otherwise because of the genetic side they really didn't control for the genetics part of it
1: yeah you couldn't not with this kind of study anyway no,
0: no but it, i mean it is an important caveat really to it i don't yeah. think I mentioned that if i remember correctly but but
1: yeah i think they're basically just assuming that it's like you know this artificial like sphere that represents a child that there's not like any you know there it's just a point it's a data point on on in the spreadsheet so and, it, and immediately guess,
0: they, they have to make that assumption, right? Because they just they can't necessarily control yeah. absolutely everything that could affect the child's.
1: Yeah, and I think actually, as you say that, I wanted to also point out that the criticisms are actually that, at least on my end of things, I'm not making to this study. I don't think the study is bad, actually, at all. I don't think they needed to change anything. Maybe they could have added some more information on paper for novices, people who are outside the field to understand what they did but like, I'm more critical of the the news coverage of the study. I think they put too much faith in this one study rather than, so really my complaints are are to the, the readers. When you see one study, it's looking at the problem from one face of the problem. And so you need to look at the other ways that people have looked at the same question to be able to really make a decision. Yeah. And it's not like your decision would even be different. It may end up being that we decide gas stoves are bad for kids and they cause asthma. We may end up deciding that. But you you can't know that from one study. And I think the all of the different confounding factors and variables that Adrian and I have been talking about, we're telling this to the news and the readers, remember there's all this other stuff. You can't just make a decision off of one study. This is just one view of the problem.
0: Yeah, I just found I was I was incorrect earlier. It's not an opinion, it's not an opinion piece, but I did just find the the Washington Post article, How the Humble Gas Stove Became the Latest Flashpoint in the Culture Wars. Uh That's a very
1: flashy title. I <laughs> as a a former editor of a website, I give that study a thumbs up or that title is is high quality. Mm-hmm. Uh But well, oh, yeah, a- Washington Post yeah, I mean, yeah, it's probably technically not an opinion piece, but it might as well be.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty close. I mean, it was talking about the particular thing, and apparently the Republicans, when this initial thought came out that this was going to happen, went after the computer consumer product safety commission, which would be the one the one entity that would ban gas stoves if that were the case. Um, but yeah, they didn't say they would do that. But this study is cited, this study that we just reviewed is cited. Oh goodness knows, where is it? It's way, way, way down toward the end of the actual article. Yeah, while the issue has become ensnared in partisan politics, scientists say, this is one of those things that scientists say.
1: Scientists say. <laughs>
0: scientists say a growing body of research shows that gas stoves pose a threat to the planet and public health. <laughs> wait a second a peer-reviewed study published last month found that gas stoves are responsible for roughly 12 percent 12.7 percent of childhood asthma nationwide on par with childhood asthma risks associated with exposure to secondhand smoke hmm uh, a separate study published last year found that gas stoves used nationwide but primarily in california illinois and northeastern states Release far more methane than previously thought, even when they are turned off. Methane, a potent planet warming gas, traps about 80 times as much heat as carbon dioxide during its first 20 years in the atmosphere.
1: Hmm. So they're looking at a lot of different things. And the asthma thing was just basically like a, oh, by the way, it's also bad for kids.
0: <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, they got a map here in the article that was um how many Americans cook with gas? It depends upon the state. Um, 70% of California households have gas-fueled ranges in cooktops or ovens in 2020, while Florida, just 8%. So it's actually gone down in Florida since they did this particular
1: thing. The Floridians were like, uh, no, no, I don't know. I It probably <laughs> is due to the um, the lack of an underground. <laughs> They're just not as common there.
0: And like in Delaware, it's 27%. Um, New York, it's 62%. DC, surprisingly, is 62% also. Mm. Uh, 40% in Maryland. New Mexico is 50%. Illinois, 67%. These are the 2020 numbers. So the, what they had in the survey was the 2019 numbers. Ah, so It, is, it has actually gone down a little bit in a bunch of these, um, in a bunch of the states that were... Interesting.
1: Running. Well... It definitely is worth keeping an eye on this topic. I think it's, you know, if you have kids and you have asthma risk in your family, and you're planning on having children and somebody, and you suspect this could be an issue, uh, and you have a gas range, I think it's, I think I wouldn't make a hasty decision. But I think uh, it's definitely worth keeping an eye on this topic. Uh, I certainly will be. So, (laughs) but hopefully the 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 Government doesn't make my decision for me before I can think it through.
0: <laughs> yeah, the decision is really up to you. I mean, that's that's the kind of that's the thing, really, is you've gotta
1: I mean, if they're framing it like it's a climate change thing, I feel like I definitely, you know, you and I have talked about climate change a lot. you study that for a living. It's real. It's happening. It's a problem. Is it the end of the world? Probably not, but it it's still a big problem for human civilization and is that something that we should be like ready to just give up control over our individual lives to solve i think that that's a mistake to think that
0: no i think i do think i i and this is just my personal opinion on it the the issue and concern i have with the climate change stuff is yes you need to do things about it mm-hmm. i do not think it is a very good it should not be used as an excuse to give government officials control over everything should absolutely not be used as that excuse if only because i think that will end worse
1: (laughs) yeah and it may not even solve climate change no to be totally honest like the big sweeping hasty frantic decisions uh like that can backfire uh what was the thing that jacob had read about some of his colleagues had talked about there was like this mad scramble to plant a ton of trees, and then it turned out the trees were releasing aromatics that actually were greenhouse gases, and they ended up making the problem worse. It was something like that, and this wasn't even, this wasn't even like in a conservative news site. I think it was just something that happened in the journals. It was just a discussion among scientists. I I need to find that now.
0: You'd have to show me that one another time because that I that's that's hysterical. If that's the case, I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: Yeah, hold on. Uh, I don't know if what I'm searching is gonna... Okay, planting new forests can do more harm than good. Yeah, maybe it's this BBC article here. Um, The Trillion Trees Campaign. Um, Go away, Papa Bad, I'm trying to read. Okay. Um, uh, Okay, let's see. Oh, there's like a bunch of stuff about. Ah, uh, okay. Looking at eleven thousand soil samples taken from a forested plots, the scientists found that in carbon poor soils, adding new trees did increase the density of organic carbon. Anyway, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to find that. I don't think this article actually is it, but I will find it for you. Okay. Uh, tree planting campaigns can totally backfire Futurity, yeah i'll find it for you another time and we can share it below yeah. for the listeners because it it's funny and also upsetting oh yeah oh yeah so, yeah
0: I mean, but that's a good example of you know how just running off and making an emotion-laden decision it's not to say you can't have emotions obviously we all have emotions and we all all are somewhat emotional people um but making a rush decision based upon an emotional reaction to something mm-hmm. usually ends badly
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i'm a, i am an extremely emotional person it's like almost bordering on a disability for me i'm very upfront about it though because i really do try to live my life not a, as a slave to that so it's not easy but if i can say don't make emotional decisions. You should listen to me because (laughs) I know from experience that from doing that, it backfires personally and it can backfire on a broad scale, but I don't need to tell you lovely people that because you probably are far less crazy than I am.
0: we are all some degree of crazy.
1: Yeah. Maybe we're all in the same club and that's why we're all hanging out virtually right now. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I have nothing more to say on the gas stoves paper. Any final thoughts for no, from you?
0: I, I I don't have much either. I'd say it's uh it it's a decent study. I I agree. Um, like I said, one thing I would have knocked them for in peer review is, is like you didn't tell me how you did your ten thousand replications. Really, that would have annoyed me because it's a reproducibility thing.
1: <laughs> well, even putting their R code on some supplemental data like. Su- is it top secret? It looks like it was a government-funded study, so. Um,
0: well, I mean, the only reason I can think of that they wouldn't have, oh, there's a data availability statement, hold on. Um, all data are available publicly as described. Well, that's
1: nice. <laughs> oh, no, not, yeah, the, the data sets that they used, yes, but the actual, like.
0: Sometimes, yeah, sometimes they do, some of the journals now will do code availability statements, but they didn't do that here, and I can imagine they may have been sensitive to that if there was anything like identifying,
1: Ah, uh, yeah, you know probably.
0: um, but that's a fair ask. I mean it should be a fair thing to go and ask them for the code that they use to do the results, yeah,
1: even a redacted like general uh flow diagram of of their algorithm and like or something, yeah,
0: yeah, so that would have been nice, but no, I think it's a I think it's a decent article, it's probably one of the more decent ones that we've. <laughs>
1: That we've reviewed. Yeah, we've we've really reviewed some clunkers in the past, haven't we? (laughs) But yeah, this was good. I think it was nice and straightforward. So that's always a nice thing when you can just like read it and understand like what they're going for, and it's not like this. You're like wading through this like swamp of science jargon, and (laughs) you know. So yeah, definitely. Good job, authors.
0: (laughs) Good job, authors, indeed.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, I suppose that is all for, for this. That's it. Don't
0: blow up your gas stove.
1: Yeah, um, don't, don't leave the thingy on and fill your house full of gas. It's bad.
0: <laughs> be a responsible gas stove owner and in general, just be a responsible stove owner. Cause I'm sure you can set fires with, with um, electric stoves too, but. Yep. <laughs> until, until we next meet folks, this has been <laughs> the Real Journal Club. May you always stay curious. Bye folks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rogue Journal Club. If you want to suggest articles for the show, please consider becoming a supporter of shiasofia.locals.com. The link for the Locals community is available in the show notes. The Rogue Journal Club is a Shia Sophia production, copyright 2022.